0: Okay. Yeah,
1: as we say, we think we have everyone here. And uh, let's see, I don't see Chad, but uh, we'll get started. Four of. Um, Yeah, why don't we start on the, for Dan's suggestion, uh, thoughts and reaction. Oh, well, yeah, thoughts and reactions to the uh, Canadian uh, legislation.
2: Glad I don't live in
0: Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. I haven't had a chance to go through them all yet. I
3: was out. Yeah. Was obviously, the
4: the first thought is oh, sorry, you know, we're focused on we need to be focused on the United States regulations instead of Canada. But it's great to have that perspective and see what they're doing and if we can offer any advice to Canadians and so on.
1: Yeah, that was my view, and I was looking for uh, you know hit. Uh, tips and you know anything that looked like what was in the uh, 2018 FAA reauthorization act uh that you know that was reflected you uh, in there in the canadian work um there were a couple of pieces um registering um each aircraft uh manufacturing uh, a manufacturer has to um, uh provide a serial number uh and it was I was glad to see you know, a serial number if available um, I, I my eyes glazed over a little when uh, there was a uh modif- when it when it got into a discussion on the modifications but yeah there's like like we said there's it's gosh it must be thirty pages of uh of regulations um, I'll take another crack at it uh I think I may copy it and uh, put it into a different font. My I got a headache from reading that uh, that document, um, but it does look. Uh, uh, I think a couple of you use the word draconian. I would uh, completely agree with that. Uh, it looks. Uh, it also. Uh, my interpretation was that it uh, also uh, covers fixed-wing radio aircraft or radio control aircraft did um was that uh a the consensus as well did
4: i i saw it covers every the only exclusions were for rockets balloons and kites yes everything
1: yeah anything that's remotely controlled and i i was looking for line of sight and you know they did talk about uh the two licenses a basic and advanced uh they characterized them as Uh, VLOS, which I don't know if that was, I I can't imagine that would be virtual. Um, But it did appear that the language I was reading for the, they called it crew members, where we'd call a spotter, um, that the crew member had to be uh, able to communicate readily with the pilot. And you know, to me, that says, oh, and there were you could have multiple crew members. So to me, it's it, it sounded like someone wrote it with FPV in mind, and you know, flying outside of line, of, your own line of sight, but as long as there was uh, someone uh, who could see the uh, uh, the aircraft, you were fine. So, uh, yeah. I don't think there's any any need for a a public response. I do think it's uh, useful to uh, go through it and maybe identify those areas that uh, we find most uh, egregious. Um, uh, you know, I uh, I think there are a couple of uh, comments. You know, this is you know, damaging to uh, to our FPV hobby. It's damaging to radio control, and maybe we look for elements that would say you know this would damage the uh the hobby the community the industry and maybe that's what we can call out of it
3: so question since i haven't read through it all yet is there evidence that this was hastily written or like it's well thought out kind of language or you know? it,
1: it does not look uh hasty and they did uh there in the preamble there was a uh, discussion that this w- this piece of work was uh, the result of uh, extensive t- discussions with the industry, and you know. Th- then you read it, and it's like my goodness. So it it looks carefully uh, written uh, by a couple of reasonably good attorneys. Uh, I mean that no disrespect. I mean it's it's carefully written and structured, just as you would imagine. Uh, a reasonable piece of legislation would be written. Uh, and so it it did not have a, uh, a, a tossed-together uh, look at all.
2: I don't know, because uh, one of the things in it was about flammable materials on the craft, and we all know that lipos or nitro fuel is flammable.
1: Was there a... Um, I assume that it said that... Uh, you can't carry those and i think it was it wasn't the characterization that they were trying to say no payload of a flammable or explosive material
2: i believe that's what they were wanting to do but
1: the you th- uh, you think that might was written, it was you like... might you might have said well nothing but of course that that would mean you know no nitro methane for a radio control plane as well
4: yep so yeah, it does say payload, though. I mean, you could argue that the battery is a payload if you've got it on a Velcro strap.
2: Yeah, it's it's open for discussion on that. It's...
1: okay, okay, good.
4: I really Other... like the part about flying. Uh, when you, you can't fly with uh, any snow or ice accumulating on your aircraft. yeah, well, there's
1: con- yeah, condition. Yeah, that was so con- uh, that it's that, even that more than just
4: icing. Um, Oh, really?
1: Let's oh, there's no snow no as pilot well? pilot shall
4: operate a pi- remotely piloted aircraft system with frost, ice, or snow adhering to any part of the remotely piloted aircraft. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely violated that one. <laughs> Have you oh, really? Oh, bless
2: your heart.
1: No, snow, so yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Good for you guys. A
2: pilot must keep uh, visual line of sight at all times.
1: Oh, careful on that one. I don't, uh, where did you see that?
2: Uh I watched the uh overview that Bruce did not long ago. He went um, over those too. Uh
1: but is that on the Canadian rings Yes. Because I you know, I'm uh, I'm sorry I don't uh know your name, but uh, I'm not trying to be argumentative, but you know, that's a, a key, key uh element of any of these regulations and I looked for those elements and I uh what I saw uh looked like it was okay to be outside of line of sight, but uh, you had to have line of sight with a crew member, and it could be multiple crew members. And so the implication there is that you could be out of line of sight of the pilot. Again, not trying to be argumentative, but this is a critical point for all of us.
4: They do specifically call out uh, first-person view devices, and that Let's see no pilot shall operate a remotely piloted aircraft system using a first-person view device unless at all times during flight a visual observer performs the detect and avoid functions detecting aircraft or other hazards beyond the field of view displayed on the device.
1: Yep, that's the one. So I, that that to me says that you know I could be on a uh on a cell phone with my crew member, and I'm the pilot, and I, uh, I'm, you know, 500 yards away, uh, you know, around the corner of a building, and that's okay, as long as my crew member can see the building and talk to me readily. They made a big thing about that you had to be in uh, quick communications. Now, did did anyone see anything that was really uh, direct with, re- with respect to uh, line of sight that, that appeared to um, characterize it as uh, not uh, possible. Bruce put
2: it as uh, operator must keep drone in line of sight without the aid of video or uh, even binoculars.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the 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 documentation I think is is probably a little different. Not probably. It, it appears to be different from that. Okay. Uh, other points on the uh, Canadian uh, new legislation?
4: I'd say that's probably enough for this week.
1: Okay. All right. Um, I had a uh, good discussion on um, one of the things, or what I wanted to do this evening was talk about the uh, remote identification and some of the safety items that um, AJ brought up, and so there was a, there, we had so what I tried to do in the agenda was uh, capture some of the thoughts that um, we've had over the last couple of days with the, the uh, Heathrow uh, incident looking back to Gatwick as well as you know what makes sense from uh, a position for uh, FPVFC and there was a um, one comment which was well you know if we're, if we're doing this for um, to look good to uh, to for the optics then you know that's one thing and uh, I think that was a really good comment and so from the perspective of uh, my view is that we need to uh, as my boss used to say there's looking good and doing good and we need to do both we need to Um, have, you know, externally, the FPVFC needs to be viewed as, uh, uh, being, uh, working for the benefit of the community. And in fact, you know, that's what we should be doing. And so, and we should have proof points that demonstrate, uh, that type of activity. So that's what I meant on the header. We need to look good and do good. Um, I thought, uh. AJ has put a ton of work into this, and I think it's. Uh, my, I I felt it was uh, a good idea to try to gain consensus uh, among uh, the leadership group on remote ID, and see if we can come up with some uh, agreement on. Yeah, this is what this is the the view we should take. And I was, I was. Um, very interested in that there were uh, good uh, pros and cons. And so uh, uh, my view is that, uh, as I've written, it's, it's important uh, for the FPV, FPVFC to establish its promise of value to the FPV community uh, and then execute within that promise of value. FPVFC must stake out a position on safety and security and then advocate for our FPV community also wanted to thank uh, A.J. for the uh, significant write-ups uh, that he's created uh, um, that defines the uh, FAA and uh, Department of Transportation uh, roles, as well as uh, the really critical idea of separating safety and security uh, uh, as we think about the uh, national airspace. Uh, so we had, uh, in, in thinking about this, and. Um, I believe uh AJ's on. I, I see uh the little icon there.
5: But I am.
1: Hey, thank you. Um and I imagine you're probably traveling, so thank you very much for uh, uh dialing in uh when it's uh, when you're on the road. Uh, so you've we have we know there were some so I wanted to put, put forward a couple of points and I thought this was you know so you know the, the background that I saw is that certainly we know that uh manned aircraft are um, only required to use remote identification when they are in dense uh, traffic areas in the national airspace. Uh, In addition, no radio is required uh, for manned uh, aircraft in low density uh, areas of the national airspace. Um, And uh, it's also uh, the case that for manned aircraft aircraft, you need to uh, uh, pass a test to demonstrate that you're aware of the uh, the rules and the navigation uh, and so that you can uh, take a plane up and uh, 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 be viewed as responsible. Um, then I, I added a ham radio um, uh, bullet in here on the background. Um, I, I went through uh, and got my uh, technician general license both. And the uh, call sign identification, uh, we really do not need uh, as uh, operators of uh, uh, remote-controlled vehicles uh, to identify uh, an FCC call sign. Uh, That is the single exception is on a remotely-controlled device. Uh, We, as a ham, radio amateur radio operator, you are required to identify your call sign every 10 minutes and at the end of a transmission. Uh, That's one of the favorite questions in both tests, Um, but not in an RC aircraft. And the VTXs uh, by the uh, FCC are considered part of the controlling aircraft devices. And uh, in fact, I'm uh, reasonably well acquainted with the uh, uh, FCC's uh, advisory notices on uh, selling uh, VTXs in the United States and making sure that they adhere uh, to the appropriate uh, frequencies of uh, above 5.64 gigahertz and below 5.925 gigahertz. Um, so just just a point. Uh, so we, I think we just set that one aside. Uh, with respect to uh, remote identification, some of the the pros uh, that I saw in the uh, in the conversation is that a remote identification could assist law enforcement to identify bad actors. This is both a security and a safety topic. Uh, the FAA, and then we, we asserted that the FAA will likely insist on a remote identification for a uh, UAS, and we as FPVFC should advocate the best solution possible uh, for uh, our members and uh, our uh, aircraft. Uh, the downside of the cons uh, for remote identification is that uh uh remote identi- remote identification is only required in dense national airspace areas for manned uh aircraft u uh, a s should have the same rules uh, any other
0: pros and cons come to mind I think that just about covers it for pros
3: and cons I'm just um, I think the big part for me is just being concerned about, um, incidents like Gatwick and Heathrow and, and whether they were real or not, it still sticks in people's minds and it sticks in law enforcement's mind. So, you know, like I said yesterday, um, it's not a question of if it's a question of when and what kind. And if we can make it as unobtrusive and as cheap and, you know, uh,
0: foolproof as
3: possible, I think we have a standing chance of getting something that's that's a little more palatable to the community.
1: Mm-hmm. And I tried to capture uh, that idea. And so uh, the way I captured that was uh, FPVFC desires UAS to be treated the same as manned aircraft with respect to RID. Uh, and then a sub-bullet on that, if remote identification is required for all UAS, the FPVFC proposes the RID identify the aircraft as a UAS, as a hobbyist? And then I uh, parenthetically added, do we want to distinguish between a commercial 107 uh, certified operator and a hobbyist?
3: Actually, um, I was talking with a friend of mine today while we were hiking. And uh, one of the things that we came up with is, you know, if, and I'm just using, mine and dan's idea is kind of a reference point if we use the vtx and transmitter to to or even camera information to display hey this is a drone um it's a general you know it's a general broadcast this is a this is a drone this is a drone operator um and not a unique specific id tied to somebody's name or address or anything like that but a designator Uh, of uh, police or hobbyist or commercial or um, government or whatever the case, power company, whatever the case may be. Um, And those designations can only be installed, you know, by the the manufacturer or or the writer of the firmware kind of thing. And with some kind of evidence saying, you know, like when you go and buy a certain kind of firearm or, or something, you submit evidence that, Hey, I'm a law enforcement officer. Um, and it allows me to buy this. Um, same thing with when you're submitting to, you know, for a designation, generally they're mostly going to be hobbyists, but for those other entities and it'll allow, um, law enforcement or whoever is, is looking at that, that preamble or that, that signal, um, what kind of drone it is, who it belongs to and incidents like, um, Gatwick, you know, Hey, it's a police drone and not a hobbyist. so let's contact the right people and figure out what that drone's doing and, and let's get it out of the air kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I like I like this one. The other proposal, I not I'll circle back to that one. Uh the other proposal I had was FPV, FPVFC supports remote identification of uh, UAS in dense air traffic areas of the national airspace. That's um uh to me, you know, the, there's strength in precedence. And I think we've got that with uh, existing laws for manned aircraft. So is um, uh, Zoe, uh, Stephanie, I think you're on. Do you have a reaction to these as a as a proposal?
4: Stephanie's been posting in the general chat since her microphone's uh, not set up.
1: And so she can talk through my robot.
0: Dimey said
4: I can only type LOL. <laughs> that works. <laughs> oh,
0: that's,
1: that's oh no, what have I got?
4: I do like that addition of the um, since a, well, at least for myself, but a lot of people fly far away from dense airspace, and so there would be no additional requirement for identification.
1: At all. Oh, okay, I know, I know. Thank you. I think that was Dan to alert me to uh, Zoe typing. Thank. All right, see Stephanie as well. Okay. Can only type. Okay.
0: The, the the
3: only thing I would say is we need to define what that airspace, what that high traffic airspace is. Um, what what what's the defining factor of when it's required and when it's not? AJ, do you, FAA, can you? Yeah.
5: I think the FAA is going to do that for us. They're going to.
1: Uh, did we lose him? Yeah. Oh, we we go. Go.
5: AJ. <laughs> okay. That was a switch over. As long as I see the green circle, I know I'm transmitting. Yes. I think the FAA is going to define that for us. Um, once they get remote ID and the ID, remote ID network so they can detect this and actually manage it, they're going to get into uh, BB loss um, authorizations for like part 135 operators, et cetera, uh, parcel delivery and whatever. And then they're going to develop the aeronautical information infrastructure for SUAS. So and on the other side of that, it says consistent airspace rule of So part of that means once they get into the aeronautical information infrastructure, they're going to define what and where we can fly and what are these certification and equipment requirements. So I think they're going to take care of that part for us. So what I'd like to see us do is carve out, like put it in the 349 exemption. I'm sure it'll have to be done differently. But you never know. These changes are going to be, you know, a year or more down the road at least. And it'll give us time to get in and influence um, how they implement these things. I'd really like to see a carve-out for hobbyists in as much airspace as possible.
1: So are we suggesting that a carve-out, a desirable carve-out for a hobbyist would be um, no RID, period? and if we and then the the first um fallback position would be no RID where it is also not required for a manned aircraft and that would probably be enough is I that would, where, go ahead
3: I would also say that we need to if we're going to require remote ID if if they are going to require remote ID that we make it as non uh what's the word I'm looking for? Specific. As heat, well, non-specific and easy to implement. So what we don't want is a two hundred and fifty dollar part on every quad that you know somebody's required to buy just to make make it flyable. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, I'd rather see
3: something that we can update via firmware um at free of charge but required um by law to either sell or fly. Um, that is non-removable as in if you try it will break your receiver brick your VTX, you know, whatever the case may be um, But not specific to the operator just identifying it as a
0: uh, unmanned aircraft Yeah, if you if you start
5: putting the um, I'm gonna brick your quad requirement in it for lack of a better term um, that's going to introduce some failure points on reliability with these. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I captured that as recommendation for a 349 carve out. No, yeah, thing, uh,
3: as opposed to breaking your quad, you can just make it a sale, you know a sales requirement for
0: being able to sell those particular parts in the United States, something like that. Uh, and make uh,
1: what a requirement
0: if uh make the the
3: firmware you know the firmware that transmits that signal saying this is a drone and this is a drone operator make that a requirement on those specific pieces of equipment for sale in the United States so you
0: you have to have it in order to sell it basically mhm mhm And again, that's just, for me, that's a fallback point. You know, yes, the, the for me, I think the, the biggest, the
3: first point of defense would be no remote ID. You uh-huh. know, second is if we're going to do remote ID, this is how we should do it and make it as non-intrusive as possible in the hobby.
4: It can't be an undue burden for the hobbyists or our equipment.
0: Thank you for clearing that up. I was looking for that.
4: And we all know that uh, anyone who is, has ill intent will or impersonate somebody else or do something, so it doesn't really help anyone. But just trying to, regulations that say we have to do this, try to do it as easily as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: That's a good point to add to uh, getting all our ducks in a row for the arguments as to why it would be ineffective or burdensome to the hobby industry. Uh, personally, I don't think it would help us that much, and I know everybody here is against mandatory remote ID. As a hobbyist, the FAA will require this eventually, or like right now, we're all in one big bucket. So they're going to require it for everybody to so they can get their unmanned traffic management system up and running. Mm-hmm. And we'll be operating under the 349 exemptions. So I'd like to lump as much airspace under that as possible with as much freedom as we currently enjoy.
0: Yep. Okay. So I added any complex implementation will meet with less compliance.
1: Okay, and looking over at the at uh, Stephanie and Zoe, and I see Zoe says she'll be right back. And uh, Stephanie, thank you for uh, continuing uh, continuing to add in. We uh, we were able to see that.
0: Um. Good so part of
1: why i um i was keen on this this evening is that i so i rewrote as you all know uh, i rewrote the uh press release and you know potentially response to he Heathrow now and I wanted to look at what happened um at Heathrow, I wanted to look at the fallout, and uh, so I, I quick finished up and got uh, got the last uh, quote. And um, my view is that absolutely, you know, no need to put anything out uh, at this point. It just seems, uh, it, to me, you know, now certainly we're in a. a um, a rarefied atmosphere and that we're, you know, that, uh, that I'm you know, living and breathing, uh, uh, you know, in the FPV, uh, industry. So I, I'm immersed in it. So that, 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 uh, certainly removes my objectivity. Um, that said it, it appears, you know, with that, it appears that, uh, there's a lot of skepticism uh, associated with, uh, this the sky is falling the sky is falling type of attitude that we've seen uh, coming out of the uk and uh, certainly um you know, the the pending legislation and i mean there you know, there's uh, lots of talk about well this is just yet another uh uh faint from the uh from the uk federal government to distract people and you know so that's un- an unfortunate comment um so I, I felt it certainly not necessary to uh to comment at this point. Yet um I was also anxious that um we had a a bit a little bit of a difference of view on remote identification. So my view was like, All right, let, let's try to come to agreement and then re, re- I'll recraft uh, a press release. Um uh, and if it's, um, if we see something that's appropriate, we'll, we'll have the start of a, of a press release that, uh, captures, uh, our, our agreed to position on remote identification. So I absolutely had a, uh, you know, one, I, I it's best on a, a key point like this that we had, that we do have a. A uh, common uh, position and are consistent and common position, and uh, I certainly wanted to uh, utilize that uh, going forward. Um, those are the two topics I had this evening. I also, before we wrapped up, I wanted to nail down um, a time uh, that we could get back together and spend some time time on the immediate time frame and in particular uh, you know obviously the 30 60 90 day is the the overall heading uh, but specifically in talking about uh, the F- FPvFC guidelines that uh, that we've written uh, what do we need to uh, to do with them uh, and how do we uh, to capture uh, Chad's view from last week. How do we make that a deliverable uh, that is uh, useful uh, to our stakeholders and probably um, a a group of different audiences? uh, As we discussed uh, last week, I tried to capture some of those uh, ideas uh, here uh, in the agenda. Uh, But this is, uh, I'm hoping. Work for uh, if it's uh, next, uh, or rather, if it's uh, tomorrow evening, that's okay. Now, Dan, I think that was not good for you. Is that right? So this would be nine nine p.m. Eastern uh, tomorrow.
4: Yeah, tomorrow I was hoping to attend an FAA webinar. Uh, cool, cool. Josh, when's a,
1: a good alternate time uh, for you? Are you? Uh... Uh...
3: Thursday evening, Friday evening,
1: Saturday, Sunday. I'm I'll tell you know, me, I'll make new anytime. Okay. Um what's the what's the earliest uh that's you know without being crazy, what's an a good time on Saturday for you? Since I think you're I, I keep forgetting, I apologize. I know you're in Arizona, but you're 2 hours or you're on mountain or uh Pacific I know Arizona well, I, doesn't doesn't change. Yeah,
3: we're on Arizona time.
1: Uh, I know. Yep. Right now I'm on Mountain time, though. Okay. <laughs> so it's First, two, hours, two, two hours. Two
3: hours from the East Coast, yeah. Oh, okay. Um I'm off on Saturday, so I'm open whenever. Um, I'm okay mm-hmm. at seven o'clock in the morning or you know nine o'clock at night, so no big deal.
1: Okay, I'm. Uh, my brain works a little better in the morning. We'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, if you could do eight, that's ten. For me, does that work for everyone else? So 8 a.m. That would work for me.
0: Mountain. That's a a tad early for uh, Zoe if she'd like to join. She's, uh, okay. I think she may
1: not be back yet. Uh, Let's see. Okay, thank you, Stephanie. Uh, 9 a.m. Central. So that's uh, 10 a.m. Eastern good um My yes, I'm still here um any other topics that uh let's see i, I would like to know if uh, how how stephanie's uh doing on merch, but um uh, let's wait until um that uh, she's got a
0: microphone that's functional. Uh, anything else around the room? I'm good. Okay.
1: Uh, Dan and AJ, thanks, thanks so much for the write-up. That's uh, uh, that's really useful, and it's uh, and I also wanted. So at the risk of embarrassing you, AJ, it's also really well written, which I appreciate. It was very easy to read, so thank you for that as well.
5: Well, I appreciate the compliment. I'm not that confident with my writing skills so because I don't do it that much Oof. anymore.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, well, you, do, you do fantastically, AJ. No worries.
5: Yeah, well, thank you.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see.
0: Stephanie, anything from you?
1: Doo-doo, doo-doo okay <laughs> bless your heart, thank you for uh, uh bearing with us stephanie and uh and typing in uh uh responses um let's see, Dan did I ask
4: yeah, you asked I didn't get a chance to respond though okay I, I'm I don't sorry. have anything to um just to suggest that everybody who hasn't check out those Canadian rules and maybe watch uh Bruce's video on it and make yeah, comments we'll that kind of thing. That's about yeah, it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I say I'm going to download it, probably change the font to something that my poor eyes can uh read a little more quickly.
4: I did yeah. find it to be a little bit easier to read than the US regulations though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. They
1: it someone it, some parts of it were a little closer to to
4: the vernacular, I agree. And near the bottom, I think they even have like an executive summary and some paragraphs that are easier to read Yep. yeah yeah
3: our american legislators like to be a little uh long-winded and uh very ornate
1: yeah. with their wording yeah yeah good good characterization uh great stephanie i'm looking at your note that's perfect i'll be around uh if you want to ping me any um let's say nine okay yeah okay yeah Whenever. Um and I see a, a couple other folks who have joined in and Scarecrow FPV. I think I know who that is. The art and artist and photographer extraordinaire. Thank you for joining. Okay. okay. Um I think that uh that may conclude this evening a little shorter uh than uh, than regular. Uh let me see if we got someone Someone typing. Okay. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, very good. Then I will adjourn this meeting, and uh, we will talk again on Saturday, ten ten a.m. Eastern. We'll use this channel until we figure out uh, another way to uh, uh, to dial in and, or to get together on a on a conference. And uh, I think we're starting to use the Google groups, and that's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you everyone. Thanks for the uh, the energy and uh thank you for the uh, the work and the spirit. Take care. Have a good evening. Good night all. Good night.
0: Good night.